Now, the art of challenging the process. How do we be honest, be courageous, and challenge properly? Without, and man, is this, is this ever a skill our society needs today? How to challenge the process without challenging the authority of the leader. Okay, what not to do. Number one, don't play games. Like games like the sandwich method. Blah. I hate the sandwich method. You know what the sandwich method is? Is if you're going to confront somebody, you got to give them something good and then tell them what's wrong and then tell them something good. That is bunk. That is junk. Okay, don't do that because when someone does that to you, what do you walk away thinking about? You don't think about anything good. You think about the one thing they said that's bad so that the next time they say something good, you don't, you're bracing yourself for what's bad and you don't listen to what's bad anymore. Right? And, you're, and you don't believe them because the last time they said something good, they ripped you. It doesn't seem sincere. So don't play games. Don't play the sandwich method or the surprise attack. What's the surprise attack? Um, that's like bursting in there and just and saying, and, and just and surprise, dropping a bomb that you've had build up forever, never, 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 never. And all of a sudden you drop the entire bomb on one thing and this and this and this. Like these are games or, or another game. <laughs> I'll get to that one. There's so many games. Another game is charades, which is number two. Don't play charades. And what charades is, you know, relying on nonverbal hints. My favorite is when you're casting a vision or doing a, you know, doing a meeting and somebody's like, <sighs> like, that's a game. You're playing games. Like, nobody else, I didn't say anything. That's what they always say. Like, you didn't have to. It was all over your face. Like, everybody in the entire room. I mean, you know when somebody doesn't agree and as a leader and your, your ideas and someone's silent, I didn't say nothing. You know, somebody's like all the stuff. It's a game. We're playing charades and guess what my mood is today. Like, just don't do that. Okay, number three, don't pass the buck. Another game, which is, you know, passing the buck is, you know, well, you know, Pastor Kelly made me do it. Well, Pastor Kelly wants this. Okay, li listen, if you have to use my name to get uh, somebody to do something, you're not even at the position of leadership. You're somewhere down here. Because now you're using my position to motivate. And you basically undermine your own authority. If you have to use the campus pastor's name, but Pastor Tanisha says we have to, don't. Because you're, you don't have any authority yourself. So say, like, don't ever use, don't pass the buck and they said or they do this. They want this. They, you know, they, whoever they are. Like, don't, don't use that to get, to get the job done. If somebody asks you to do something, like Jen asked you guys to do something in my city care. You go in there and, and as a team lead, you go in there and saying, hey guys, we're going to da 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 this is what we want to do, blah, 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 and just, and just do it. Well, and then when they push back, well, it's because Jen said, like, you're, you feel backed in the corner, so then, well, it's because Jen wants it done. Like, that's your last resort. And if you, once you go there, 
then you undermine your own thing. If you never have to use her name and you still can get the, the thing done, like you go up a, a notch when it works. In the production, you go up a notch. But the moment you use somebody else's name, use my name or whatever, then you, the, the results, then guess who has the, all the authority? Okay. Um, number four, don't play read my mind. Why do you think I called you this morning? I don't know. Like, don't, yeah, don't play read my mind. Um, number five, don't rely on charisma. Right? So an example of that is to be an effective motivator. You don't have to be awe-inspiring like Hollywood portrays. Like, you don't have to be Winston Churchill, have a speech like Winston Churchill to, to get people to, to clean up after the event. Like, you don't need to rely on charisma. Charisma makes for good drama. However, it has precious little to do with leadership. Okay, number six, don't use power. Okay, we often go to power as our first resort because we believe that's the easiest method to change people's thinking. However, it guarantees little more than short-term bitter compliance and it kills relationships and it motivates resistance and it doesn't last. Okay, so don't, don't, um, don't play, you know, some of those, some of these games and power and not cool. All right, what to do? Yes, Pam. Yeah, using power is, is I'm the boss, right? Because if you don't, I will, blah, blah, blah. That's having to use power. And you'll get people, you'll motivate people in the short term, but it, it typically turns into rebellion later. All right, uh, what to do? Uh, define the problem or situation. So before you confront, um, let's say, you know, campus pastor does something, you're like, ooh, this is not good, this, I don't like this. Uh, you got this, this angst, and trust me, I'm gonna give you that. Your campus pastor's gonna give you that. Like, you're gonna have something, you're like, ooh, I don't like this. The, the most important thing is learn how to confront, but don't, don't confront it just because you don't like it. Or it doesn't feel like you just feel angst. Because sometimes we just, the problem is we don't like change. That's sometimes the problem. It's me that's the problem, right? That it's, I don't like change and therefore, um, therefore I'm resistant to, I like change when it changes everybody else, but I don't like it when it changes me. Like I'm uncomfortable, whatever it might be. So it's important before you go and confront, instead of saying, you know, go and you haven't clearly defined the problem, then you go and confront the, the campus pastor and you're like, I don't like it. What don't you like? Well, I just, I just don't. Like you haven't clearly defined what the problem is in the first place in your own mind. You're not ready to confront yet. So you have to clearly define, well, why don't I like it? What's wrong with it? What, what is, and try to get to the clearest you know, possible way that you can to, to define the problem that you're trying to solve or that, you know, that you're defined before you can identify what the argument is, define the problem. And then in the con confrontation, this is great marriage advice, is stick to the problem. 
How many of you have arguments where you start with one thing and one topic, and then all of a sudden you get to the, into the argument, and go, what are we even fighting about anymore? Like, we use this opportunity to confront, and we're take, confronting it all. Like, stick to the problem. Does that make sense? Define it and stick to it. Um, remember that conflict is the space between what we expect and what we experience. So if I can define the problem, what was my expectation versus what was my experience? And if I can define that space in between the more, most accurate way, then I'm going to be able to define what the problem is. Number two, direct the conversation in a positive way. Okay, so what does that mean? Instead of assuming the worst and then acting in ways that confirm it, change the story in your own mind. Okay, so here's, here's something. If, if you just have this idea, this concept of change the story, oftentimes we feel, and we feel angst because of some past historical thing. So I find this all the time in pastoring and being a pastor is that there's so many people, especially in Southern Alberta, that have been hurt by religion and they've been hurt by a pastor or they've been hurt by a pastoral authority. And they automatically, they hear me say something and it triggers something in them and they automatically pro proclaim this, the story in their head of he's doing this and we're going down this road and we're da -da 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 -da. and they've created this entire story and then they're like, this is the problem. You're going to, and then I get accused of a whole bunch of stuff. You're going to do this. And it's like, huh? What? Like, no. And it's all about the story that we've created in our own heads based on our past pain or past experiences or just the fact that we have great imaginations and can make up great stories. Instead, uh, change the story. When you're defining the problem, just try to position this in a positive way and change the story in your own head and going, okay, and do this with your spouse too. And you're going to argument, well, he's doing this and he's going to da, 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 da. And how do you, you got this whole story, preconceived idea of what he did and why he did it and change the story and going, why would somebody who, who committed to love me and, and loves me and did all the rest of it try to hurt me? Well, they wouldn't. Okay, so then what would be their motive? And you change, just change the story and try to define, just try to rewrite a story or a motive of why that person said that in that way and what they're trying to get to. And just change that story and, and reflect it in a positive way. And all of a sudden you can approach that conversation with a whole different um, focus and actually get to the real problem and probably come up with a surprise of... of of what might the outcome might be. Okay, number three, determine points of agreement. Okay, so here's, here's what to do. So we're defining the problem, we're changing the story, we want to determine points of agreement. And here's another huge key, this is great for marriages, the confrontation of all, but this is, this is great when it comes to confronting with excellence our, our, our campus pastors and all of that. What is so, so key is to say, we know what the problem is. We're not going to question, we're not challenging the motives, but we need to confront in such a way that they feel, that people feel safe. If people feel safe, you can confront and talk about anything. The moment someone feels unsafe, you can't talk about anything. So in marriage, we, we, we get into arguments and they feel like what happens when someone feels unsafe? They feel backed in the corner, they lash out. They fight, fight, or flee, freeze, right? I mean, they, they're going to fight, they're going to lash out because they feel attacked. They're going to run because they feel, they, they feel like they're going to get hurt because they feel unsafe. They, they freeze or they don't know what to do because they're, they're, just, they're just going to shutdown mode. 
But if you can, you can make someone feel safe, then, then you can talk about anything. And you'll know when someone feels unsafe when they get defensive and you hear some of the defensive rhetoric coming back. And if you hear the defensiveness coming back, um, then, then you can go, okay, wait, they feel unsafe. Don't, don't you know, lash at that and get them backpedaling. Don't do that. Recognize that they feel unsafe and going, okay, I need to do something to help them feel safe. And people will feel unsafe if they believe one of two things. Okay, if they don't, if they feel unsafe, if they, if they believe you don't respect them. Right? Or they feel unsafe if they feel like you don't care about their goals. Okay, those two things. They feel unsafe if they feel like you don't respect them. They feel unsafe if they feel they don't care about, you know, their goals. So in confronting a campus pastor or confronting me or whatever it might be, if to the degree that I feel I'm respected, I will listen, won't you? Like, give me an example. I'll give you an example. There are certain numbers that pop up on your phone. If someone has to call your cell phone right now, there's certain numbers that you would go... And there's other numbers where you're like, Ooh, I gotta go, I gotta talk. we gotta talk, right? And I guarantee you, the one that you're gonna accept is, the, is the, the one that you're excited to do is the one that respects you. The one that disrespects you or you feel like disrespects you, you're not gonna, you don't wanna talk to. So does your campus pastor feel respected? Because the level, of, the degree that you respect them, you've created an opportunity to speak into them, right? So that's huge. So that's, and then they'll feel safe. They feel respected. They feel safe. You can talk about anything. They feel like we got the same goal. They feel safe. We can talk about anything. Okay? If you feel them being defensive, then number four is use contrasting to restore mutual respect. So contrasting is a great tool. What contrasting is, is, is simply just saying, um, I, don't, I don't mean this. I'm not saying this. I'm saying that. Right? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm quitting. I'm saying da-da-da-da-da. I'm not saying that I'm firing you. I'm saying da-da-da-da-da. Like sometimes it's, it's amazing. Hey, Heidi, like uh, picking on you because you're here and you've been here the longest. Uh, and this, but, but I mean, because of previous pastors, and different things. My office was like people would literally stop at the, the door of my office and then and then like come in, some of them trembling into my office because I asked for a meeting. And I realized I had to use contrasting a lot. Because I'd have to say, Hey, I want to meet with you. You're not in trouble. That's that's you're not in trouble. I want to I want to run some ideas by you. That's contrasting. Right? And I have to say at the beginning so that they'd feel safe so we could have a conversation. <laughs> like Right? So if you feel like you see somebody hesitate, they don't want to talk or they don't want to like, use contrasting to, to make them feel safe. Number five, uh, establish mutual purpose. So build common ground before you can even mention a problem. You have to build common ground, feeling safe, mutual purpose. This is the end in mind. We got, we got a mutual goal. We want to accomplish this. Um, make sure that you can build that. Let, her, let others know that your intentions are pure, that your goal is to solve the problem and to make things better 
for both of you. Start with what's important to you and them, not just to you. Okay, that's, that's huge. Number six is ask permission. Okay, if the topic you're about to address is traditionally off limits or particularly sensitive or something a person in, in your position doesn't normally discuss, ask for, for permission to discuss it. Asking permission is a powerful sign of respect. Hey, I'd like to, I know this is not my department. I'd like to talk to you about, you know, something that I'm seeing and da da da, da and I know this is not normal in my area, but that, can I talk to you about this? It, it's, you know, instead of going in there, hey, I want to tell you, like, I don't want to talk to you about da, 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 I didn't like da, 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 whatever it might be. Ask for permission. Um, number seven, speak in private. Right? Public loyalty creates private leverage. Okay, public loyalty creates private leverage. If you talk well of uh, your campus pastor, your boss, your, your direct report, you talk well of them, you, the more you talk well of them, whatever you say about whoever's leading you eventually gets back to them. People think it's a private conversation, but it eventually, it, it eventually gets back. And if you're known as somebody who's, you know, talking negatively, I don't like this, and you're talking about, about them all the time, when, when you call for a meeting, they're going to be the ones going, Ooh. But if you're a public raving fan, they'll take your call all day long. Right? So public loyalty creates private leverage. Number eight, avoid using inappropriate humor. We get awkward and nervous when we confront. And so we try to ease our own tension. So we try to be funny. And it's like way off color. Right? We don't, we don't we do it like, or we're afraid to confront directly. And so we'll say something like, oh, look who just arrived. I have a hard time finding the room. <laughs> Right? We do that kind of stuff and we think nothing of it, but we don't realize that it's cut like it, it cuts. All right. Number nine, avoid the group attack. The group attack is don't deal with individual problems in meetings or public gatherings by chastising the entire group. Here, here's what I've learned. Um, Honor a team and correct an individual. And the reason we often do this opposite, we honor an individual and we correct a team because we're cowards. I'm putting me in that too, right? So, so we honor, in, when you honor an individual and you say, let's just use Tabor, right? For example, saying, Man, Kelly Fair did, 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 did this, and they, Kelly Fair won the award, right? She did lots of the work, like a ton of the work. But there's others, the moment you say, Kelly won this award, there's others who are going, hey, yeah, what, what, hey, whoa, you don't know, and I was, that, did, 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 all the rest of it, and they feel left out. So honor the, honor the team, and if there's an individual that needs, like, don't correct, we want to correct the entire group and saying, you guys, if there's somebody, 
you know, something goes wrong in the service, we want to correct the entire team and going, no, if there's something that went wrong, pinpoint where's the problem, and let's address the individual in private. Avoid the group attack. Number 10. Yeah, and the group attack is another, another example of the group attack, which is a game that we play, is we say things like, there's a bunch of people mad at you right now. This is my favorite one, because this one comes at me all the time. There's a whole bunch of people that are mad at you right now. Okay, um, who? Well, I can't say. Well, then I don't have time to listen. Well, no, there's just a, there's a bunch. Like, like who? Well, you know, there's, you know, there's, yeah, um, and you pull down. I did this one time, and I, <laughs> there was one time, and the person was like, well, it's my wife. And I was like, does your wife know you called her a bunch? That's offensive. I don't know. Anyway. But we feel like we don't have authority like on ourselves. So then we say a whole bunch of people are mad. And then really like, I want to know who, like what, what's going on. Like I can't, I can't solve a problem if I don't know who. Don't, don't take the bait of that. Like how do we, how do I address it? If there's an issue, how do I address it? If there's a whole bunch. Right. So, all right. Um, number 10, don't confuse your insights as moral imperatives. Remember that no doesn't mean that your boss is not open to change. It just might mean your idea sucked. <laughs> don't we, we? We die on the hill of our ideas, don't we? Like we make a moral imperative. If the church doesn't take my idea, it's missing God. Like, no, it's an idea, right? So like, separate your insight from moral imperative. And it, if it's a no, it might be like... We don't know, and I didn't know this until I became a senior pastor, but I, I was wondering, like, why would my pastor, when I was a pastor, why would he not allow that person in leadership? And well, How come they wouldn't, how come they, this happened here, and how come that person got promoted and not this person? I was like, what is he doing? This doesn't make sense. And then I became the senior pastor, and I realized, oh, he has a whole lot more insight into stuff he's counseling and different things that are going on that he's not can't publicly share as the insight that he knows and doesn't know, like, because that would be defaming to the person beside them and going, uh, and I thought I had a moral imperative that my idea was better and I knew and not realizing that don't have all the information. So sometimes the idea just, it, 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 it's not that the idea is not good, it just might not be the right timing. Number 11, establish clear boundaries. Um, and Clear boundaries are like mission and vision is permanent. That's not up for negotiation, but the model and programming is apt to change. Like that, we can discuss that all day. We can find a better way to do that. And, and in a conversation, if we start and someone's like, I don't like our vision, you know, great. I've had those like conversations. I don't like our vision. I was like, just to let you know, before we go into discussion, the vision is not up for debate. Like, I'm willing to debate how we execute all the rest of it. Just let you know, it's not up for debate. Like, so this is not going to get anywhere. Right? So, so you can establish clear boundaries as to what we can discuss and what we can't. And oftentimes, it's not even the vision. It's somehow the execution. It's like, okay, that we can talk about. So just establish clear boundaries. Number 12, develop win-win plans. Right? Win-win plans is remember who does what by when and then follow up and deal with ongoing relationship maintenance and just saying, hey, we got to, this is a win-win. We got to win, both win in this one, not just I win, 
the argument, um, we need to both win. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Parallel Leaders, where we help you target and evaluate your organization, leadership, or growth department under the microscope of eight growth points to optimize your effectiveness as a leader.